Prosegur is a security, is a private security company. We are operating in 26 countries. Basically focus on two things, the operating model and the innovation model. Software, particularly software, is becoming a more important component of almost every product. Technology is becoming a key part of strategy. You cannot control the things that happen to you, but you do control the way you react to them. I always say that leadership is something that people give to you. It's built on trust. I think there is no better managerial talent in our era than moving and transforming organizations. Don't go half-heartedly into it. That doesn't work. This is Sierra TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Javier Caberizzo, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Prosegur. A very warm welcome, Javier. Thank you, Hendrik. It's a pleasure to be here with you and all the friends from CIONET. Javier, you have a Master in Corporate Finance from the EA Business School in Madrid and an MBA from uh, INSEAD and degrees from MIT and Harvard. You started your career in the startup world where you even IPO'd a company called Metaphor. Your second career was at Oracle, five years at MIA level, five years in Silicon Valley, and your third career now is in big corporates. You did the transformation at Unidad Editorial, big media company, and now since 2018, you are the COO of uh, Prosegur. So, Xavier, explain me that a little bit. Why three different careers? How did you, uh, how did you make that decision to do Three complete different things. It sounds like I'm very old, uh, doesn't it, Hendrik? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, life has driven you in different directions and, and I, I learned a lot, a lot along the way. So the first ones, uh, when I was in startup world, um, it was basically by chance that I got into uh, one of the companies. It was a metaphor. And uh, we learned a lot. That was very successful. We took that one public. Uh, but, you know, startup mm -hmm. world, you're Ups, you have ups and you have downs. So, so we, we were very successful yep. with, with that one. Uh, I was so-so with another one. Um, and then we miserably failed with the third one. So, so I've seen, I've been there goods and bads and, and, uh, and it was a very instructive uh, process. You learn how to motivate teams and how to go through very, very tough situations. Um, the transition to the second one was, was actively uh, a very, something that also happened by chance because when we, when we were, selling the company, the failed company, mm -hmm. uh, to, yeah. to Oracle, uh, they didn't quite buy the company, but they bought me, basically. So I got the opportunity to join Oracle, and, uh, and I spent, uh, I didn't know I was going to survive in a corporate world, you know, um, <laughs> because I was coming from three startups or three smaller companies before. But my wife, who is the smart uh, part of the couple, um, she said, well, why don't you give it a chance and, uh, and try that and see how it goes. And uh, I said, okay, I'm going to try for a couple of months and see if it works. And I spent 10 years. So, you know, it, it was not bad at all. So, yeah, I spent, I, I spent time in, in EMEA with our uh, go-to-market and sales and, and services organization. And then I spent five years uh, at our headquarters. And, and, again, you learn a lot from those experiences, uh, being at the headquarters of a very uh, tech-intensive company like Oracle. Um, or you could say the yeah. same from any product-driven organization. You, you really learn 
the ins and outs of technology business, how big, great products are created, how do you excel at execution, and, and the laser focus on, on being the best at what you do. Um, so that was, uh, that was very, very uh, good and instructive for me as well. And then eventually I wanted to apply a lot of those learnings to other non-tech companies that were, I envisioned that a lot of non-tech companies were going to go through this process that we are now seeing, trans digital transformation or mm -hmm. massive uh, uh, corporate transformations. And I wanted to focus on those uh, basically bringing my background and my understanding of technology to, to other, uh, other non-tech companies that could benefit from using technology to improve their businesses. And that's, that's what got me to both Unidad Editorial in the media world and, uh, and now at Prosegur. Okay, and you are the COO and what are your responsibilities today? So what I run is uh, some of the corporate functions, finance, administration, HR, and also IT. CIO is in my team and also innovation and cybersecurity innovation, development of, of new products, and, and also cybersecurity. Okay, super. And for those of us who don't know ProSigur, um, can you tell us a little bit, give us the context. What, what kind of company is it? How big is it? How old is it? How many people? Yeah, so, so ProSigur is a security, it's a private security company. It was founded mm -hmm. 40 years ago, uh, around 4 billion in revenue, 3.6 last year with COVID, 150,000 people uh, operating in wow. 26 countries. Um, so probably if you're traveling in, in Spain or if you're traveling in Latin America, you've seen us in many of the airports or in your buildings or in your bank branches or um, nuclear energy plants or, or, you know, we provide a lot of those services. We also provide services into the B2C world, uh, so your home alarm. Um, that's, a, that's a big business for us. We also do cybersecurity. We also do cash in transit, managing cash and the logistics mm -hmm. around cash. Um, and also, a, uh, and we do some outsourcing processes for large banks and insurance companies. Okay, and so you were brought in in what was it 2018 to make a change, I can imagine. So what was the what was the state of the company? What what kind of change what ne was necessary then, and what are the drivers um, of change still today? So I think the the board was very conscious of what's going on in many industries. We're seeing in many industries mm -hmm. how technology is effective, is affecting the business lines. Um, whether you have disruption because some new entrants are coming into your industry or because uh, the way you, s you use technology into your products is becoming more and more important. The board was very conscious that we had to change something. So adapt, be better suited, better prepared for those times and those dynamics in the market. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they, they started considering different alternatives and uh, eventually after a period, I, I landed into the job. And I think the good thing here, what they were very specific at was, we need to transform the way we operate. And in order to do that, they put some of these functions, this operation that is running day to day um, into in my position so that you could really push the transformation of the organization mm -hmm. really from the way you operate uh, impacting all of the business. So, so that was a very bold move, I believe. Um, and, and that has, it's working fine for us because you can really impact the way a company works uh, by really managing those day-to-day -day operations. So I can imagine that you need to 
make the company more agile, that you need to create new growth strategies. Is that, is that your, your focus for the last couple of years? Yes, yeah, so, so we basically focus on two things, the operating model and the innovation model. You can say operating model is how you run the company and how you're profitable, um, how you're more efficient, how you consume less, uh, less capital, less working capital. And innovation is how you're going to grow, what type of new products you're going to bring to the market. So, and and yeah. ob oversimplifying, those are the two focus areas, operate and innovate. So let's talk about operate first. What, I'm, what, is the, what are the things that you're putting in place so that you're, and, and how are you changing, standardizing the operating model? Where is your focus there? Right, so, so we are, like I said, we are, like, we are operating in 26 countries and we have, like, mm -hmm. we have five different lines of business. And a company mm -hmm. like Prosegur that has grown very fast in the last 10 years through acquisitions, we've made more than 100 acquisitions, normally has a very uh, a variety uh, of systems and, and, and ways of operating, yeah. right? Um, and at some point, the, that variety becomes non-efficient because it makes it difficult for you to continue growing or to moving at the speed that you want. Uh, more complexity mm -hmm. adds cost and slows down the operation. So, so the first thing we did was, first thing, think about the technology foundation and how do we modernize a lot of our legacy and, and the architecture and the systems that, uh, that run the company. Again, after many years and mm -hmm. multiple acquisitions, we have a lot of legacy. And then focus on um, that new architecture, a cloud-based architecture, um, and work very hard into the in integration of the different applications, modernize and, and remove a lot of the legacy, work very hard on the data, data quality. So do all the technical stuff and then really focus on the processes and how the company is effectively run um, uh, so that you can be more, uh, you, you use the best practices, you standardize the operation, and we need that, uh, Hendrik, because in different countries, we have different combinations of, of, of businesses that we run. We might be running one business in one country, and in another country, we run five businesses. So we need a model that is very flexible and can run mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, or five businesses, and very scalable. Yeah. And, and, and that forced us to rethink very deeply both the technology and the process and, and, and how do we operate. And, and that was the clear okay. focus. And can you elaborate a little bit on how you did, did that? I mean, is it uh, one ERP system for every business line or you have one the same system for every or, uh, organization? Because, I mean, there's some strategic decisions that and, and strategies that need to be taken. There. Right. So we started from the process. We started thinking basically focusing on four or five key processes. Your employees, mm -hmm. your, what we call hire to retire. What is the life cycle of the employee? What needs to happen? Uh, uh, hiring, uh, uh, training, payments, benefits, uh, vacation, performance appraisal, so employee-related processes. Customer-related processes. From you, when you have an opportunity, till you sell, till you deliver, you invoice, you collect, how do we run that? Supplier uh, uh, and providers processes and uh, reporting and finance processes. So we started thinking, not, not started, but invested a lot in gathering what was the best way of running each one of those processes. And we defined those. This is the best way to effectively okay. run it. And then we looked at 
what are the systems that support those functions and, and what would be the best system to do that. And yes, we standardize, we are standardizing in, in the deployment uh, on ERP. Mm -hmm. We're using Oracle Cloud for that. We standardize all our HR operation, um, uh, recruitment, hiring, training, payments, uh, administration, personnel administration, everything. Uh, we standardize CRM on, uh, on Microsoft Dynamics and we standardize mm -hmm. our billing system. So, so those, those were like the backend, the four backend pillars uh, that, that run the company. You, wanna, you, you really want to focus on those because um, that's how you make or break the company. That's how you make money. That's how you ensure that your processes are efficient and your cash consumption yep. is really under control. And then the other thing that we did was focus on the operation, the, the, the systems that we run for the different uh, businesses. So uh, how do we run our mm -hmm. alarms business? How do we run our security business? How do we run our cash business? Each one of those has different um, custom developed applications that need to integrate very well with this bedrock of backend systems. And we worked very hard in APIs, interconnecting applications and data models to ensure data consistency mm -hmm. and a proper data governance across the board. Okay, a, a very important um, wave that we now see in technology is, is also to invest in automation of processes. Yes. How are how you doing on that front? Yeah, um, we focused a lot on that because we do have, or we used to have a lot of tasks within those processes that were manual, mm -hmm or based on, on a lot of interactions uh, and changes of information uh, along the process. We saw that very early. We created a group for RPA, Robotic Process Automation, uh, started three years ago. Currently, I think we have, we have run already something like 400 processes. Um, mm -hmm. That team has automated sales and, and operations and HR and, and, and finance processes. We're very proud of that team, by the way. Uh, they, they, two years in a row, they earned uh, a worldwide prize from Blueprism, which is the technology that we use as the most innovative team in the world uh, in, uh, mm -hmm. in, 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 in RPA applications to business. And we're now extending that, adding some OCR, uh, optical character recognition, natural language processing, and some machine learning to, to process tasks that are repetitive and that are very easy for a software robot to understand. So, so uh, we're very uh, well advanced on that, I think. So a lot of work has gone into standardized processes, standardized the system that support these processes and, and then automate these processes and take away manual uh, uh, labor as, as, as much as possible. Quite impressive. Now, the second part that you said is uh, next to operating model, you have the innovation model. So let's talk about the new stuff because that's, of course, very exciting as well, no? Uh, so, so what's happening? How are you organizing your, uh, your innovation at Prosigo? Right. This, I think this is a very important thing to consider because typically when you look at technology, you always look at internally how are you going to operate more efficiently. You don't always look at how are you going to add technology to your products to make them more competitive and differentiate yourself. So, so this was a very clear mm -hmm. focus for us. Now, being a non-tech company from background, there are a lot of things that you need to adapt uh, to make the company more tech savvy 
and, and incorporate this mindset. So, so what we did was we created an innovation team, a centralized innovation team, connected with the uh, innovation organizations in each one of the business lines, and we defined our innovation methodology. How are we going to create new products? What are the stages that a new candidate needs to go through and validation mm -hmm. at different stages before we launch? How are we going to do the handover once the product gets into production? So we did a lot of that. Um, we created what we call tech studios for some key technology areas that are very relevant for us. Artificial intelligence specifically applied to video and to image processing and analytics. This is very relevant in our world. And also IoT in how it is applied to getting sensors and measuring signals from sensors. So we created a methodology, we created the tech studios. Then we said, okay, mm -hmm. there is a lot of innovation that's going on out there. So how do we tap the innovation that's going on outside? So we created the Open Innovation Initiative. It's called Come In. Mm -hmm. uh, we are in the second year now. I think we've interacted with more than 400 startups already in the eight challenges that we launched last year. Very interesting companies that won each one of those challenges, uh, like how do you have a COVID-free mm -hmm. environment, uh, for example. That was one that we launched. Um, after the, um, the coming, or at the same time, we also created a, a, a tech, what we call a venture capital, a corporate venture capital. It's called Prosegur Tech Ventures. And um, we allocated 30 million, three, three zero, 30 million euros for that and uh, finding companies where we wanted to invest, develop, and have closer to us. Um, mm -hmm. And now what we're launching is the, um, the internal innovation, the entrepreneurship um, and, and initiatives uh, that we can bring from uh, our, our own organization. And we've been super surprised by that. Uh, we just launched it um, two months ago. And we got 7,000 people engaged on it and more than, wow. more than 1,000 ideas that came through. So, you know, really, really a very good feedback and very good sign in terms of the willingness of the organization to innovate and bring new things forward. So you have a structure, you have, uh, you have the money, the resources to do it. You have the relationships with, with, with the outside world, with, with startups, and you have an internal program to do, uh, to do that innovation. Tell me a little bit more about these innovation challenges. How, how does that work? How did you implement that? And, and can you give maybe an example of, of something that came out of that? Yes, yeah, so, so a challenge might be how do we, in our alarms business, how do we know if, I, if a signal, an alarm that's coming from, if, if you have an alarm in your house, uh, the people that are operating mm -hmm. it, uh, we are not in Belgium, but we should be there anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> how do you operate the signal and decide if it is a real alarm or a false alarm? Imagine mm -hmm. your dog, your pet is moving around your house and that triggers the alarm. Well, that's a false alarm yeah. for you because it's your pet, it's your house. There's no, no, no need for an intervention. But the system doesn't know that. And then it gets to a human, an operator that needs to check it out and say, hey, Mr. Dickers, is this okay? Uh, something's going on at your house. A lot of that can be filtered. You know, you can, you can now apply vision processing, image processing to say, this is not a real alarm. You don't need to worry about this uh, because it's your pet and, and there's nothing to worry. So you filter that out and then you focus on the real 
things that should trigger an intervention. Why is that important? Because it makes the whole operation more productive, but it also makes the customer satisfaction higher because now I'm not going to disturb you if there is no real alarm and I'm really going to be way faster if there is a real alarm that's affecting you. Um, other examples are in, in, in our security monitoring of, of critical infrastructures, say an airport or a, a train station um, mm -hmm. or a retailer. Um, we have um, people on the ground and we also have people on our operating centers that are monitoring screens and they're looking at what's going on. Um, the, same, yeah. the same logic applies. If you can use some artificial intelligence, some uh, uh, video analytics, image analytics processes, you can detect even when the human is not seeing it because you can, it's very difficult to cover a very wide uh, area. You can detect things that are going on that should trigger an intervention from one of our operating uh, resources. So those are the types of things very okay. um, complex things to solve uh, from a technology standpoint where you need um, some of your internal resources, some of external resources and set it uh, uh, in motion so that you can define a product that solves that need. So you define the challenge, the, the problem that you want to solve, you throw it out in the open, everybody can come up with some good ideas and then you have a winner and, and then maybe you invest in that company as well to, to develop that solution. Is that is that how I can visualize the, the process? Some, yes, we are interested from an investment perspective. Sometimes well, we run a pilot. Um, for example, we, we run another one that won with us was how, how do you have a COVID-free environment? At the beginning, you remember when we were entering um, a, our offices, we wanted to know how many people are in there, what's the social distance and what is the tracking um, and counting people and things like that might be sometimes difficult. So we found a company, Korean company, that actually measured vibrations in the environment and that way could easily count individuals and, and even through oh. walls, uh, which is something that's not always easy. Um, and uh, because sometimes you don't have, it's, it's difficult to get into all areas. And, you know, we implemented that, we've tested some of that and it worked and, and it's fine. Some other times um, we do not invest, but we do operate, we, we become partners in the market. So we also get another one in retailer, in retail that was also focused on uh, individual uh, or social distancing and people counting that we implemented in some mm -hmm. of our security customers. So it might trigger an investment opportunity or it just it might just trigger a partnering opportunity. Tell me a bit more about your internal uh, innovation and, and, and entrepreneurship uh, program that you have uh, implemented and where you see these uh, massive uh, first uh, results and ideas coming up. What, uh, I mean, what is, what's, what's new there? So the, the objective was there's obviously a lot of innovation going out, uh, happening outside, but the people that really know what's going on and what customers need mm -hmm. sometimes are, or frequently are the people that are working on it, right? And you have them inside. Yeah. Um, so it might not be the super duper AI model, but they know, hey, if we did this with this, the way we run this process with the customer, we're going to reduce uh, two hours, uh, the, the, the delivery time. So we launched the initiative with the aim of finding those types of um, ideas. So um, small things that can, on an ongoing basis, on a continuously innovation, uh, con continuously improving basis, um, uh, get some improvements. And probably 75% of what we got 
were those types of ideas. So do this mm -hmm. when you call the customer, uh, do this when you service the, this customer, do this when you uh, invoice, whatever. Um, and a lot of those are progressively being implemented. And we got a good 20, 25% of initiatives that were like, hmm, these are crazier ideas, if you want, more like um, new businesses. And from those, mm -hmm. what we did was a, an internal selection process, and we ended up with seven uh, that are going to be run as new initiatives. And so the, the way it works is we allocate 20% of the time of those individuals and their teams to pursue that opportunity, define what exactly they want to do, how are they going to implement it, what might be the impact. And by November this year, uh, 2021, we should see the result of, uh, of that job. Uh, so that includes things like um, monitoring pets for our arms business or, or doing a, a, a digital token for assets for valuable assets uh, that we can store um, so things like are not our day-to-day -day business but are interesting and we can explore and then add to uh, to our operation now it's it's not every day that in in our interview series that we uh, interview coos and most of the time it's cdos cios and so on so but you are a, a coo with a lot of tech background i mean yes. and from the startup and and from the big tech company. So uh, tell me a little bit, how is IT and digital organized in, uh, in ProSigur? Right, so, so we have two, there are two different teams. One is IT for running all our internal systems, infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, communications, and that's, that's the IT, it's run by a CIO, CIO and CTO. Mm -hmm. And then we have the innovation team, which is more focused on development of new solutions, like things that we were talking about before, um, uh, video analytics, uh, AI applied to some of the things that we do. Uh, those are two separate teams. They share, however, a common reference framework or reference architecture. And this is important because mm -hmm. you don't want your new products to be launched in a totally different direction from the way you are running your internal systems because those two need to be connected. They need, ideally, you yep. want them to run in the same uh, environment. So, so that's how we operate. CIO is, is one team. Innovation and product development, new product development, is another team. They are both in my team. They are peers and they mm -hmm. interact a lot because there is a lot of um, mutual connection there between things that one is developing and that might be useful for the other. And like I said, they are both sharing the same infrastructure. Can you disclose a bit how big these teams are, both the, the innovation and the CIO, CTO team? So the IT team, all in all, is around a thousand people uh, in different parts mm -hmm. of the world, running all uh, the business lines, uh, like I said, you know, supporting all the business lines and, and the common uh, uh, systems. The innovation team is a smaller one right now. Um, in how, all in all, we probably have 40, 50 uh, between internal mm -hmm. and external. And, and it's, it's growing fast. This team was created two years ago, and as we add more products and more initiatives to the pipeline, yeah. um, what we expect is that team is going to, is going to grow, yeah. Okay, and then the, the IT team, I, I can imagine, since you're now in, in a wave of standardization and automation, 
a lot is central or, or is, a, is a, or you have a federated model? What's, what's the, the IT operating model? The, um, there is a central team and, and then you have uh, the operations running in the countries and the different geographies. So not in every country, mm -hmm. we regionalize some of that, uh, but the, the, the central team is the, uh, the one that sets standards and, and defines architectures and uh, integrates all the different things. Then you have teams yeah. on the ground that effectively implement a lot of these things and run the day-to-day -day of many of those things. You, there's a lot of um, local tats when you're running your system based, you know, interacting with your customers, with your local business lines. So you need that local presence. Yeah. That's how we operate. So we talked about automating processes. I can imagine also, I mean, you, you have a ton of data, I can imagine, especially now that all this video data is coming in, all this sensor data is coming in, but next to that you have HR, finance, and operations data and so on. So let's talk a little bit about your data strategy. Right. I mean, uh, data is the new gold. So, so how do you and, and Prosecure look at this today? So I, I couldn't state how important that is. I mean, it's so, so important. What we did was we, create the we created the function of the chief data officer. He's reporting to my CIO. Um, he came from mm -hmm. the banking industry, uh, very versed, very well versed in data governance principles, uh, because obviously in, in banking, they are, because of regulation, they are a little bit ahead of some other industries in how they manage data internally. Yeah. Um, and what we did was analyze how data travels throughout every process. That, that's where we started. So how mm -hmm. a customer name or address or whatever moves from your CRM to your operating system to your billing system to your collecting system. Because if you don't fix that, you're going to have a lot of operational issues as we used to have. Mm -hmm. So we put a lot, a lot of focus on when we define the process, what is the data journey? How, how is data being used by different systems? And that got us to data governance models, defining very precisely where data can be written and where the others mm -hmm. are just reading the data, um, which was not obvious every time because there's a lot of real day-to-day -day things that need to change once you change that. So before uh, the billing person could change the, um, I don't know, the, the um, name of the customer. Not anymore. That needs to come from your CRM. So things like that, that seem trivial and simple, get a lot of uh, friction in the organization. You really need to design those very, very well down to the nitty gritty details. Uh, so that was a very important focus for us in the definition of the processes. The other one was, the um, reporting mechanisms and getting to what we all want, which is one single source of truth, which is easier said than done, of course. And <laughs> I'm sure many of our viewers are suffering the same thing, right? You get to a meeting and every, everybody comes with their own Excel spreadsheet or PowerPoint. No, my data says it's uh, 3%. No, my data says it's 7%. <laughs> so how do you eliminate that? Um, and, and we invested and we are still in the process of having one source of data and ensuring that people go to the source. So I try to ban PowerPoint presentations when we're talking about numbers. Go to the source live. Let's connect to the system, see the report, and we all see the data. So there is no 
nothing going on with the data, right? Yeah. So we're pushing that. Um, we're still a long way to go uh, with that one, but that's okay. uh, very relevant. And the third thing um, related to data is how do you comply, of course, with regulation, but also manage and secure all the data that's coming from your customers. Uh, there's a lot of privacy concerns that you need to look at, um, and, and because cameras and, and, and alarms, and there's a, there's a lot of details that you need to really pay attention to when you manage that data. So very important, super important aspect of the whole process. I can imagine, and I can imagine also security. IT security must be very important in the security company. <laughs> no? So t tell me, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, IT security, cybersecurity uh, is of course very important, but is that also um, uh, a, a service that you provide? Are you, are you also in, in, that, in that part of the business? Yes. So yes, it's also in my, in my team. And uh, what we did was we created a CISO, CISO, a global CISO, mm -hmm. and then uh, each one of the businesses has their own CISO, functionally reporting to the global CISO. This CISO is reporting to me. He's not reporting to IT, uh, which was the first design, uh, organizational design decision. Do we want security to be under IT or do we want it separate? There are pros and cons. We decided we want it separate so that we could really look at our the way we are set up, our architecture, our security, our systems, our everything monitoring, and really look from outside into our, our systems. It creates some friction, but a positive mm -hmm. friction, but I also think it's, uh, for us, is, is working fine. Also, you may know that we had a cyber attack in November 2019, right? And uh, so we, we always pay a lot of attention to security but that even raised the level of relevance of cybersecurity yeah. inside our organization. And, uh, and it's now something uh, we report to the board on a regular basis and, uh, and we really pay a lot of attention to it. Remember, we also have a cybersecurity unit. It's called Cypher. Uh, it's a business line. So it's also okay. providing services to us like if we were a customer. The most demanding and exigent customer, I have to say, <laughs> but uh, we have that team uh, working for us as well. Okay, so how would you describe uh, your role in the organization today? I mean, you're, you're there and for, for more than three years now, and, and maybe we can have a look at, if, if we look at an average week, where do you spend most of your time nowadays? I try to split the time between product innovation, new products coming to customers, mm -hmm. IT, um, because there are a lot of systems that are being rolled out right now, so we really need to pay attention to uh, our project management and how we're rolling out in, in one country and how are we preparing for the next country. And then to the day-to-day -day of our administration, finance, and HR, uh, and try to leave some time for organizational issues. But I try to organize those are my key areas, product developments, new products mm -hmm. that we are launching, IT rollout of our different systems and decisions that we have to make there, and then the day-to-day -day management of HR in a very large organization, and then the finance and administration yep. in a very large organization. Luckily, I have a super team, so uh, they all take care of uh, most of uh, almost everything. Mm -hmm. And how do you look at the CIO function? I mean, running the IT organization, uh, the the, the 
the CIO that, that works in, in your team. What, what are your expectations of, of, of the CIO and how, did have, how do you see that this role have, has maybe changed over the last five, ten years? I think it's still evolving. I think technology, mm -hmm. in general, technology is becoming a key part of strategy. I, I, I simply don't see how you're going to define a strategy without thinking how your technology is going to help or not help that strategy. I, I, I don't see those two things disconnected. Um, so, so I think the CIO or in general the technology function is way more ingrained into strategy and operations now than it used to be. And we like mm -hmm. to have those conversations when we're, when we're thinking, all right, new markets, we're going to make this acquisition, we're going to enter into this country. All right, how are we going to support that from a technology standpoint? And for example, we make a lot of acquisitions. And uh, one important thing for us is, are we going to be able to integrate that company fast enough? Because if we don't integrate it fast enough, you're not going to see the results uh, in the operation uh, at the speed that we want. So I think the IT role, although it's difficult to say what is IT, what is product, but in general, the technology function, um, I think it's more and more part of the strategy of the company. And there's one very important thing here, I believe. Um, software, particularly software, is becoming a more important component of almost every product. Whether it's a physical product, like we offer physical services, or a digital product. Yeah. For digital products, it's very obvious. But for physical products, the percentage or the contribution of software to enhance that product, I think it's only going to grow. It, you, we see it growing. Uh, you can see, I mean, you can say that from Uber or you can say that from us, but the, or, a, or a telecom company, it's everywhere. And it's going to grow, continue yeah. growing. So I think you need to really interiorize that and see the software, both IT and, and software development of new products, as an absolute key component of your strategy. And you have to be very good at that. There's no two thoughts about it. If you're not good at that, no. you are probably going to have some hard times. <laughs> Absolutely. Now let's talk a bit about your team and, 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 and your management style. I mean, we're, we're getting closer to who you are as a, as a leader, as a manager, as a person. So let's, let's first talk about your, your management style. You, you said, I have the best team uh, in, in the world that, that works at me. Well, how, how do you build top teams? What, what is your strategy there? Um, my strategy, I, I don't know if it works for everybody, but my strategy is pretty simple. I try to hire the best at what they do. My CIO is way better than I am uh, at managing IT. My innovation guy is way better than I am at managing my innovation. Same for HR, same for finance, um, and same for cybersecurity. So I think the first thing is I, look, I, I try to get the best talent at what they do. Mm -hmm. And what I try to give them is direction. So this is and vision and context. This is where the company is, this is where we want to be, and this is how you contribute to that. So I think those are very simple things, but they, they make a total difference. So if you know, if you're in innovation and you know our aim is to have whatever percentage of the top line coming from new products, and that's part of your remit. This is part of what you have to do. That helps you understand, all right, I understand what, what I need to do, and, and, and I can move in the right direction without 
day-to-day -day micromanagement. So mm -hmm. clear vision, clear direction. Be there with them in the hard times. So when you have crisis, you have to show up. You, ha you always have to show up, but you have to be there and, and, and be together and suffer together. And what they are expecting from you is that you make the call. So make the calls. You can fail, but make the bloody call. Uh, nobody can wait for, you know, hey, yeah, I'm going to think about it. Well, no, you know, we're in a crisis here. What do we do? <laughs> um, so I think those are basic things, um, but they really make, make a difference. The other thing I try to focus on is it's way better to have people that are internally motivated than externally motivated. Mm -hmm. so, so what is the internal motivation? Yeah. What is the internal driver of everyone? Yeah. And, uh, and if you understand that, and it's aligned with your objective, they're going to fly on their own and, and uh, you're going to be totally uh, unnecessary. So that's how you build uh, successful teams. Let's talk about leadership because leadership is, of course, different than, than, than management. And, and you said that you had a, a serious um, a cybersecurity incident. Maybe that's a good example to talk about how, how do you lead an organization? How, how do you make sure that people want to follow you? I think leadership I always say that leadership is something that people give to you because they need to, mm -hmm. tr it's built on trust, right? So, so one thing is authority, uh, you know, we all know authority. For someone to be a leader of something, they need, people need to follow, need to trust, need to understand, need to be willing to go in that direction. So, mm -hmm. I, so I think that's a key element, uh, um, be, be humble, understand what the situation is, what, where do you want to go, where do you think uh, things need to go, communicate that effectively, and be honest. There's no, there's no work around that. Uh, uh, in a crisis, um, cyber incident, again, you have to very quickly grasp the situation, understand the situation. People need to trust that you're going to do the right things for the organization. You're not going to be saving your team or someone else or just finger pointing someone else. You're going to focus on the solution and what the best thing for the company is. This happens every day. And, and you just need to be able to convey that and people need to see and, and, and transpire that that's what you are trying to achieve. They might not be in agreement. Not everybody's going to be in agreement mm -hmm. all the time, but they're going to believe and trust what you're saying because it's honest and it's good, the good thing for the organization. I think that's yeah. the, I believe, number one principle in leadership. Uh, number one, two, and three. <laughs> and so what, what do you think your, your teams today and, and in the past would say about you? When you're not around, how would they describe your leadership style? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, they probably say that I'm demanding. Um, I don't know. Um, but, but I think they, they would say that they are normally put in situations that are challenging and mm -hmm. and. and motivating, um, that, re that really demand the best from them um, and, and that they deliver and they race to their best. Uh, and that's the environments where I like, that, that's high, those are high performance environments, that's what I like. And uh, normally that's where, th those are the situations where I find myself into. <laughs> so Javier, what is it that really drives you in, in your work and in your life? What are, what are the Core, the core energy that, that lets you do what you do? That's a profound question. Um, 
<laughs> I tend to find myself very happy or very satisfied in situations where you are metaphorically with one foot on a known environment, controlled environment, mm -hmm. predictable environment, and another foot on the new environment, the, which represents progress, represents evolution, represents innovation, mm -hmm. uh, uh, change. And I think that's where I find the biggest satisfaction. That's why I'm not a good guy for managing very stable situations. Uh, you know, it's a, I, I find that not super fulfilling to me. But I do mm -hmm. like these situations, like we're talking about all the time, transformation of large organizations, where you, are, you have part of the organization here, you want to get there, but you've got to do that. Uh, and and, and, and you, need to, you need to really connect with the rhythm of the organization. So there's no, there's no magic formula for this. It's, you really need mm -hmm. to understand the dynamics of the organization and see at what speed, how much weight are you going to put on your foot that's on the innovation <laughs> and the change and the progress. How much uh, weight are you going to put on the other foot? And, and when a, a good week is when you achieve both things. You get a very good result because something on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis is working fine, and you did the deal, you satisfied the customer, your employee is happy, whatever. At the same time, half of your attention is focused on how are you going to do it better tomorrow? What new technologies, what new products are going to launch that are going to make this better? That's when... Personally, I find the uh, best, uh, most satisfying moments. Now, Xavier, you, uh, um, you shared with us your um, personality, your MBTI personality type. And it's a common thread that we use in our leadership deep dive uh, videos. And uh, your personality uh, uh, type is you are an ENFJ, uh, also known as the protagonist. Uh, so it's more extroverted, more intuitive. You are strong on the feeling side and, and, and you have a more a judging personality as well. And typically, people with this personality type, they are warm, forthright types that love helping others and that tend to have strong ideas and values and they back their perspective with creative energy to achieve their goals. <laughs> um, how does that sound? <laughs> Sounds great. I don't know. Uh, I, I have to say I had a lot of fun doing the, the um, uh, questionnaire. That, that thing was very, uh, it was very eye-opening. Sometimes these things, you learn a lot from yourself when you do those things. How do you react to this situation? Absolutely. Well, if you're putting this, how do you? Uh, I think it was, it was very useful. Um, it sounds pretty accurate. I mean, uh, like I was describing mm -hmm. before, if you want to move an organization, you have to be very empathic. You really, re really need to connect with, the empathy is very important. You need to connect with what the real situation is now and, and where it can go. So you do need to have both understanding of the situation, but also a very clear vision of, of where it yeah. has to go. Um, and I like to, I, I don't, normally when you try to do these things only based on your vision without really connecting with the way situations are today, it fails miserably for all the good reasons, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you, you, yeah. you know you want to get there, but you need to know what is the path. You need to discover. More than know, you need to discover the path. And how do you discover that? Yeah. You, you discover that by understanding 
uh, how people operate, why things are the way they are. It's not because people are stupid. It's some, there, are, there are reasons why things are the way they are. So you need to understand yeah. uh, uh, where you are and why you are there and how you're going to move. So you need a, personally, I think it helps when you try to connect with that. Listen, understand, but also deploy the vision and the drive to get to that vision. That's a little bit of my metaphor. Funny enough, it's similar to my metaphor of the, you know, these two, <laughs> one thing here and one there. Now, people with ENFJ personality types, their typical strengths are that they are tolerant, that they're very reliable, charismatic, altruistic, and they are natural leaders. I mean, as far as I know you, that fits the bill quite well. I don't know. <laughs> But now it's the interesting part. Every coin has two sides. Uh, uh, this, people with this personality type also have some weakness, or let's call them development areas. And so I wanted to, and that's the most important, uh, more interesting part, let's, uh, let's say. So um, ENFJs, they can be overly idealistic, uh, too idealistic, too selfless, too sensitive sometimes. They can have fluctuating self-esteem, and sometimes they struggle to make tough decisions. Do you recognize any of these weaknesses and how did you overcome them? How did you develop in, uh, in, in, in these areas? Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, so when, when you need to make a call, I said before that's important that you make a call for, for your teams, mm -hmm. right? And some of those calls are tough calls. I am con uh, normally you are very conscious of the impact. Uh, on other people and although they do not you try to convince them you try to mobilize them but sometimes you defer and you are the one who needs to make a call um, yeah. you can delay that to an extent but not beyond a certain extent so eventually you need mm -hmm. to make a call um, I don't think I have a problem with that I do have a problem not a problem but I, I am I am sensitive of how that is going to impact. And you have to be, you have to be. Again, uh, you have to respect a lot of any company, look, any company that has achieved what this company or any other company that survived 30 years or 20 years or 40 years, it's made of really talented people. Business is a very tough thing and companies do not survive, you know, just magically. They survive and they thrive because people have done very good efforts at some point. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to very consciously understand that and respect, and respect that. However, you also yep. understand that some of those things have to change and you have to push in, in, in a given direction. So from a character standpoint, you need to be managing, you need to be able to manage both those things. Uh, uh, and sometimes you might not be able to make a call because you sense the impact is going to be too high and you're delaying. My experience is intuitively, when you sense that something is correct, do it the sooner the better. No. And, 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 and sometimes you did. And where did you learn that? Where did you learn to make tough decisions uh, better sooner than later? Because it's, it's probably better to make them soon enough. I learned that um, with some team decisions. So when you have someone in the team that you know is not performing um, and, and you, you invest and you try to raise him or her and, and get them to perform better. Sometimes you know, you try, but you know it's not going to work for whatever reason. 
it doesn't, there's no cultural fit, there's no uh, job fit, pull the trigger. The, the sooner the better. You learn that the hard way. Yeah. Eventually, after trying that for a year, you end up saying, okay, this didn't work, uh, we just need to stop it. And you could have saved a year to the person, the organization, and, and yourself. So problems, small problems are manageable. Small problems left alone tend to get bigger. And uh, you don't want problems to get bigger because they become unmanageable or, or, or create a lot of drama uh, to, or more, more yeah. dramatic situations uh, to solve. So tackle them early. <laughs> so in, in your personal life, in your professional life, do you have a personal mantra, a saying uh, that, that helps you, I don't know, to make decisions or to think about things? That, uh, what's your personal mantra? You made me think. I don't know if I have a personal mantra. I try to... You, you know, if you read this uh, Marcus Aurelius Meditations, I'm going to get a little bit philosophical here, but if you read, and, and you read the, if you read the Stoics, they tell you something very simple, and that is... You, you don't own, or you cannot control the things that happen to you, but you do control the way you react to them. It's a very, this is a very stoic uh, um, yeah. way of looking at things. Um, so, so Marcus Aurelius really put it in three things. He said something like um, objective judgment. So when you look at things, try to be objective when you judge the situation. Selfless action. So you're not doing that for your benefit, or try to. It's always very difficult. Um, and, and acceptance, and, and accept reality. Accept the way things are, because you cannot control them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think about that a lot. Uh, are you being objective? Are you really looking at reality objectively? Are you being selfless in your action? Or are you driven by your ego, your power, your ambition? you need to really deconstruct why are you reacting or why are you acting? And, and I think a lot about that. I don't know if that answers the question, but it's... <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it's amazing that uh, 2,000 years after he has written these words, you are still inspired by that. So, I mean, that's it's fascinating. Because it's very smart. Because it's very smart. And, and yeah. coming from someone so powerful mm -hmm. um, and uh, took the time to actually reflect on these things, it's, uh, I think it's very smart. It, it, it says a lot about him and, and something that's applicable okay. to all of us. Let's go a level deeper in, in trying to understand who you are as, 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 as a leader. Um, and let's talk a bit about your core values. I mean, you shared with us that you have a family, you have two kids, they're 14 and 16 years, teenagers. What are the core values that you are trying to pass on to them? How do you want, with which values do you want to see them become uh, successful adults? I think what you pass to them and also to other people is how you act more than what you say. So you really want to be consistent, whatever values you have, that you act them out. That's the first thing. You cannot be inconsistent. Um, that's not good for you. It's not good for them. Also... Now, because now they are teenagers, so they are in a, in a period in their lives when they are coming out of the environment where they were safe and, and in a more... Uh, things were kind of settled, 
by mm -hmm. their parents, my wife and myself, onto an environment where they want to set their own reality. It happened to all of us, and it happened to all of our kids. So I, I tried, I pay a lot of attention to share with them or teach them. In the end, it's your duty and your responsibility to be the best version of yourself, the best person you can be. Person, broadly speaking, uh, as, a, yeah. as a friend, as a brother, as a son, as a student. So once you understand that it's your duty, um, there, is, there, there are less excuses. There is less, mm -hmm. uh, you take the challenge because you respect yourself, because you want to be the best version of yourself. This is a very difficult thing yeah. to do even for adults. Uh, it's very difficult, way more difficult for teenagers. But I try to make them think that way because, they, mm -hmm. because that's what they can do. Those are the types of things that they can act on um, and, and try to identify when they are not being the best version of themselves and why is that and what do they need to change. And, and that's something that's a very personal journey. Uh, each one of us needs to find that. So, that's, I think, a very important value, uh, if I can pass that to them. Okay. <laughs> so consistency and responsibility. I mean, just uh, one way to maybe summarize it. Who, who did you learn that from? Or, or let's um, put the question a bit, a bit broader. Who are the important figures in your life? Who are, the, who are the mentors, the people that you look up to in your life that, except for uh, next to Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> that, that, you, that you learned from? <laughs> well, Vicarious learning is very important. You sometimes learn from people that you have in your life. You, you learn a lot from other people that you don't have in your life. And I, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a, a story there. But uh, people that I learned from or that motivated me uh, in the past, I, I, I was really motivated by my grandfather when I was younger. Um, he was an entrepreneur coming from nothing in a small village. And uh, he, he really uh, helped a lot of people and, and was very successful in, in business. Um, I had some of my peers in my in my startups in the startups where I participated that I learned a lot from and they were, that were really motivating uh, to me. Um, when I was in or at Oracle, I really, really had some very, very good people that I learned from, from Larry Ellison down to some of the top engineers and and, and uh, managers there. Really focused on um, excellence at everything they did. Um, I learned a lot from, from my peers. Now, in general, I tend to pay a lot of attention to people that have the ability to understand complex situations and distill them down to the essence. So what exactly mm -hmm. is going on and what do you need to act on to have the best result? And I find that's every day becoming more important because I don't know if it's the age or whatever, but complexity is just increasing. I mean, there are so many things going on. There's technology here and legislation and political instability yeah. and whatnot. How you want to be surrounded by people that effectively make sense of that and, and guide and focus on the key things. And, and, and uh, when you look at, when you see companies that are doing that uh, or, or managers or leaders that are doing that, that's, uh, you learn a lot from that. What, what's the best thing that ever happened to you in your life? Or, and, and what's it that you're most grateful for in your life? My two sons. Uh, the birth of my two sons. I think uh, from a personal standpoint, those, those were the best moments. It's, it's a new life mm -hmm. just uh, 
coming. Uh, I think that's very, uh, th those are super, super moments that give you a lot of energy. I always say this, it's, it's funny, uh, um, a personal story, Hendrik. I remember when I was younger, when I had my first one, and, uh, and I had a lot of friends, uh, this was back in Oracle, that, oh, so you have a new song, you're not going to be sleeping, you're going to be deprived of sleep, you're going to be tired, exhausted. And I was like, well, you don't sleep, but I get a lot of energy uh, coming from the new situation. So uh, uh, that was, th those moments were very, and they still are, uh, very relevant, I think, uh, to me in my life. Now, we have successful moments and happy moments. We also have sad moments and, and bad uh, things that happen in, in our lives. So what are, if you want to share, what is maybe one of the worst things that happened in your life? And, and what was the effect? What did you learn from that? Personal or business? Or both? Well, let's start with personal. <laughs> uh, personal, uh, when I lost my mom. My mom passed away years ago, uh, many years ago. And I was there. I was in front of her. And, uh, and at some moment, you see life in front of you, of a loved person for you. And the next moment, yeah. life is gone. And, and that, you ask yourself, why? What's going on here? What happened here? Um, and that was very intense. And uh, throughout the years, or throughout many time, a lot of time after, after the fact, that gets you thinking and, and makes you uh, understand how vulnerable you are. And, and that makes you humble because it can happen to yep. me now coming out from this room. And uh, you gotta be living your life consistent, consistent with the fact that anytime can happen to you. That was an eye-opening thing, a very relevant thing to learn uh, personally. And I try to live true to that. Uh, uh, don't leave things unsolved, particularly personal things. Don't leave them unsolved uh, because um, something can happen and you can never solve them. And uh, you don't want to be on either side. You don't want to be the one that leaves and you don't want to be the one that stays. Um, so yeah. solve things, personal things, solve them quickly. Don't get them unsolved. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's, that's something I learned from that uh, on a personal basis. Thank you for sharing that. Now on, on professional uh, level, and maybe a good way to phrase the question is, and professionally, what was your most brilliant failure that you ever <laughs> had to live through? And, and what, <laughs> what did you learn from that? I've had many. I've, I've had many, <laughs> many, many. Uh, but I think um, we were talking about startups before and some of, uh, uh, we were successful sometimes and not so successful other times. Um, when you have a startup, when you create a startup, you are part of the founding members and you, you, you love the creature we're talking about sons before, it's like a son. It's like you really love the creature and you want, you want it to be successful and you put so much effort in there. Um, when they don't work, uh, it's really hard, particularly when you attracted others to invest in your company. And uh, people were mm -hmm. trusting you and, and your employees, your team members came because of what you're trying to achieve, right? And when you fail, that's hard. That's, uh, that's very difficult to swallow. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we failed miserably in one, of our, in one of our startups. It's years ago, so I can smile now, but it was hard. It was hard <laughs> because uh, we lost a lot of money from uh, friends and family and ourselves, of course. Uh, and we had... Now, what did you learn from, from this uh, failure of, of this company? What was your main learning from this? I learned it's a very basic thing. I learned... I learned many things. I'm going to give you a couple of them. 
The first thing is you really need to know what you're building. We were developing product, uh, software products. Um, what are you doing for whom? Who is going to pay for that and, and why? Because frequently you get in love with the technology and with your own vision and what, you know, we're doing this thing, it's going to be wild and, but you lose sight of uh, who is going to pay for it and, 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 and why are they going to pay for it. So there's that tension and it, there's, it needs to be because sometimes you're developing things that they don't yet have a market or a mature market and you have to believe in what you're doing. Yeah. But that tension, um, you don't, don't lose sight of that. The second thing is managing teams in those situations. Again, there is nowhere to hide. Don't sugarcoat things. Um, things are not working. This is what's happening. And, and we had to go through several rounds of people reducing their salaries and exchanging those for stock options and whatnot. Um, be transparent. No, no, no sugarcoating. Uh, people are mature. They're, if they're not mature, they shouldn't be there. Um, so, so be clear, direct, uh, transparent with, uh, with people, with everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and, and the other thing I learned, funny enough, is a lot of people actually lost a lot of money with us, including ourselves, uh, but nobody got really upset <laughs> because we were clear and transparent to them. You know, this is risky. Yeah. Don't put here the money that you're going to need for your retirement. You might lose it. Um, and they lost it, yeah, but, but nobody, yeah. no hard feelings. Nobody died and, uh, and it was just money. <laughs> still, um, and a lot of time for a lot of people. Uh, apart from that, everybody yeah. learned a lot about technology and management and everything. You're an active member in the uh, advisory board of uh, Sionet in Madrid. Yes. Why are you doing this? Why, why is the community important for you? Oh, I think we can all contribute to make others thrive and uh, and in general like i said i think we are going through times where there's half of the world that has been living without really paying a lot of attention to technology that really need to come and and understand a lot of the things that technology can do for them uh, because i i honestly believe there are very big opportunities but you have to bring them or you have to go there however you want to put it so I like to, I, I think CIONET is a good way of impacting, because there are so many organizations, so many companies and so many people, uh, impacting those of us that are living in, in, in technology related jobs or tasks, but also those that are not, those that really need, where mm -hmm. you can really impact positively the job of others and the companies and, and, and the success of companies that are, like I said, not necessarily technology from the beginning uh, or with technology background. And I think CIONET is a very good platform for that. Javier, what, are the, what is the advice that you would give to your younger self or that you would give to ambitious young professionals that are watching these interviews and, and that have the, um, the ambition to become a, a successful digital leader like, uh, like yourself? I, I think a lot of the things that we mentioned throughout the conversation, um, but I, I, would, I would highlight also another important thing, I believe. For those in the middle of transformations or that are going to tackle organizational 
changes and transformation driven by technology. Don't go half-heartedly into it. That doesn't work. I mean, if you know the world is going in one direction, and I think we all kind of agree, we can dispute details, but we all understand that the role of software and technology in our lives is going to, is growing and it's going to continue growing, hence also in our organizations, hence also the importance of understanding those and managing software in our companies. Don't, don't try to put batches, you know, it's, it, it, don't go half-heartedly, it's my advice. Uh, you really need to get into the um, depth and the fundamentals and the first principles that are going to govern your company moving forward. That means normally investments are going to be relevant. Um, patience is going to be relevant um, because you're not going to, the bigger the company, the bigger the inertia, the bigger, the more time is going to get. Um, but, but keep the focus. And, and don't be, this is easier said than done, but try not to succumb to the quarterly pressure. Um, because the momentum you gain with time, it can be totally destroyed once you stop the effort or you cancel a project or an investment or whatever. Um, these are challenging tasks, super fulfilling super fulfilling. I think there is no better managerial challenge in our era than these ones, uh, um, moving and transforming organizations. But again, go full-heartedly into it, have patience, and try not to stop it. This is like training. This is like personal training. Uh, uh, if you train three days per week or four days per week, even 15 minutes, do the 15 minutes. If you miss one day, you're gonna brrr, you're gonna go down to almost square one. So don't do that. Um, that would be my yeah. advice for people that are going through or, or uh, uh, starting processes like uh, big big transformation projects. So Javier, thank you so much for your time, for your inspiration, for sharing all your ideas and and your experiences. It was really a pleasure. I look forward to uh, to having a nice dinner together in Madrid very soon. Thank you, uh, Hendrik, to, for inviting me and for setting up this marvelous organization, uh, CIONet, and, and the, the vastness of the network. I think it's, it's just amazing. I learn a lot from all the interactions there. And uh, yes, you are very welcome. Um, and uh, it would be a great pleasure once we are, we've, we've gone through all of this uh, to meet in person. Uh, we'd be delighted to do so. Thank you very much.